This is Young Lawyer Rising from the ABA Young Lawyers Division and Legal Talk Network. Welcome back, listeners. It's your host, Montana Funk. Today, we are talking to Joe Ankus, an experienced legal search consultant, president of Ankus Consulting, and president of Attorney Mental Health Education Incorporated. Joe and I will be discussing the importance of addressing mental health concerns, not only in our personal lives, but in the workplace. Joe, thanks for being here today. It's a pleasure, Montana. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation because this is one of those important topics. I think personally to me, mental health is just such an important thing that isn't, I think, addressed as much as it should be. Kind of just jumping honestly right into it. Why is this topic so important to you? Well, it's a fair question. I would say to you that it's interesting to me for a couple different reasons. One is being heavily involved in the legal community. I, I am a lawyer as well is that I see firsthand a correlation of the evidence that shows that our community is three times more likely than the average community to suffer from a variety of mental health challenges, most notably depression, anxiety, and substance use. The second reason why I'm very interested is because of my own lived experience with anxiety. And I frankly just never wanted to see somebody else go through the same hell that I went through as a young lawyer. Part of my goal today working with you is to share some constructive ideas and thoughts that may be helpful to your listeners. And, you know, I've read a couple of articles before that say exactly what you said, where, you know, lawyers are on the top of the list for people with anxiety and careers and depression and addiction, all those things. Do you have any ideas of why you think that is? Is it because of burnout, the stress or, you know, what, what is it? Well, recognizing that I am a layperson, uh, just like you are, even though we're lawyers. Um, the only distinction that I have is I'm a certified mental health first aid instructor, which is somewhat analogous to a first aid instructor or a CPR instructor, except for mental health. So I'm not a clinician. I can't diagnose, treat, or cure. Of course, a lawyer has to say that, right? Um, especially an anxious one. But no, the, to, to your point, the, the more important thing is, is there, there are a lot of reasons why. And let me just review some of them briefly. Number one, other than armed combat, there is no other profession quite like the practice of law because very few professions, if any, other than law, have somebody that's in theory equally trained and equally talented trying to prove why you're wrong. <laughs> that might lead to a little bit of second guessing, a little bit of anxiety, and uh, all sorts of other mental health challenges. I like to tell people, you know, even when a trauma victim comes in the emergency room, the entire team from the beginning to the end is trying to save the patient's life. Nobody's sneaking around the curtain trying to pull out the tube from their breathing, you know, from their throat. So that's number one, that the nature of our profession tends to be adversarial. And by the way, it's not just limited to litigation. Transactions can be just as adversarial. So stress is is just baked into our cake. The second reason why I think mental health challenges are prevalent is really no fault of anybody's. It's genetics and physiology. Some of us are just simply more predisposed biologically to experience a mental health challenge. And the third reason is, is that aside from our profession, We all have various other responsibilities in life. It could be a parent, a spouse, a friend, a colleague, you name it. We all have different roles. And because of that, 
there are inherent stresses with just daily living. So when you kind of add the three up, I would submit to you that it's more than one plus one plus one equals three. It's a multiplier effect. And I think those are three concrete reasons that that we are enduring what we endure. Absolutely. And I always kind of make the joke, you know, on a lighter note to be like, why did someone with anxiety, because I also suffered with anxiety, why pick this career? You know, like, it's like, you pick one of the most stressful careers. I'm like, why? Well, I can tell you, Montana, for me, it was, it, it was, it was really, it was really very simple. You know how electricity takes the path of least resistance. So mm-hmm. when I graduated college, you know, I had one job offer and that was to sell insurance parentheses and retrospect comma, I should have closed parentheses. <laughs> um, but that being said, um, I still remember to this day, my dad was an attorney and my dad said to me, he says, well, you got a choice. You can either you know, get a job or you can go to law school. And I'm like, hmm, path of least resistance. I can write. So I went to law school. Like, that sounds fun. It was not fun. I mean, three more years of not having any responsibility. All my bills are paid for. So really, I had really no intrinsic interest in it. Although, ironically, when I got there, I found it to be fascinating to me from from an academic standpoint. I enjoyed learning about the law. And I felt that it was really just a regulated sociology class, right? It's like, these are the rules of organized living. And and it was interesting to me. So I enjoyed that part of it. But uh, when I graduated and started to practice, theory and reality collided pretty hard. It's a great job. I love it. But it's definitely one of those things where I'm just like, this is not the job for someone with anxiety. But I think something really important and I don't know what, you know, and I think you'll have good insight on this is burnout. And I think a lot of the times, whether like you said, litigation or transactional burnout's a really real thing that I think could be addressed better in the workplace. And I mean, what do you, what have you seen in terms of burnout and how people can not prevent it? Cause I don't think we can prevent it necessarily, but deal with it and cope with that. You know, this is a perennial question which is fortunately being asked more regularly than it was 30 years ago when I graduated. What do I see as far as burnout? So again, human beings all being so different and everybody's story is different and everybody literally and figuratively is wired differently. So for those lawyers that I have seen or worked with that have, quote, burned out or were on the verge of burning out, a lot of it doesn't center around working hard. It centers around working scared. And there's a difference, which is there's a feeling of not knowing what you're doing, which leads to the anxiety, the stress, the sleepless nights. If somebody felt comfortable and confident, then it's a job. And yes, they work hard, but the parameters have been defined. So One of the things that I always encourage anybody that actually hears me out on this is if you need support from your colleagues, ask for it. Don't suffer in silence because what you may think is a big deal for an experienced lawyer, they may go, you do not need to stress about this. Or, or more importantly, if anybody listening to this is in a position of managerial responsibility, say to your team, I've got your back. That in and of itself will give them the confidence they need. If you hired them, they're bright enough. It's really putting the muscle to 
believing in your person and supporting them through their early career development. My trajectory may have been completely different when I started working. And by the way, I'm still dear friends with my former boss to this day. He's a wonderful human being, but he was falling asleep at three o'clock in the morning. He was exhausted. It wasn't his fault that he couldn't mentor me. He had his own full caseload. But I do think you know it's incumbent on management and senior associates to actually stop, check, and see how their younger ones are doing. All right, listeners, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. It can be frustrating to wade through the malpractice insurance application process, but you know you need to protect your firm. Alps designed their application to be flexible, easy, and 100% online. Fill it out, review your quote, accept, and pay in as little as 10 minutes. Alps is the nation's largest direct writer of lawyers' malpractice insurance, and they are endorsed by more bar associations than any other carrier, so they understand law firms. They also know how valuable your time is, and that's why they make legal malpractice insurance easy. Visit alpsinsurance.com to learn more. That's A-L-P-S insurance.com. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. Before the break, Joe, we were discussing, you know, how the mentors, the supervisors can be there for their whole team, you know, and and provide that help for them. And I think that that's something that maybe also isn't addressed enough is there is this issue of people have these mental health issues, you know, being able to ask for help so that you can prevent that fear. What would you say to someone on the other side, someone who maybe doesn't struggle, but is trying to be that person to be there for that person who is struggling? How do you approach that? Again, a great question. And the main thing is this. I try to explain to people that, and I say blessed, they're blessed if they don't suffer from some of these situations, right? Anxiety or depression. The first thing I tell them is, is if we could snap out of it, we would. We don't want to feel this way. Nobody wants to feel clinically depressed. Nobody wants to feel in a perpetual state of anxiety. And I'm separating, of course, normal stresses from clinical stresses, right? But what I would say to them is just because you may not feel that way or just because you may not yourself understand it, please know that from somebody that tells you they're really experiencing a challenge, they mean it. And you don't have to understand it, but please believe us. It has nothing to do with intellectual ability. It has nothing to do with intellectual rigor at all. What it has to do with is feeling that we are supported. And some people have said to me, with derision, they've said to me, you know what? 
obviously you couldn't cut it. Obviously it's sink or swim. You know, this is a contact sport. It's not for the meek. And I'm like, I get that it's a contact sport, but so is football and you have team members. And so I feel very strongly about that. You don't have to understand what somebody's going through to take them at their word that they're experiencing it. And you can ask them the most valuable thing you can say is, what can I do to help? What do you need? You know, let them guide the conversation. But, but this idea that it's about mental toughness and that, you know, sink or swim, you're going to lose a lot of legal talent that you shouldn't lose because some people are just going to throw up their hands and go, there's got to be a better way. When ironically, they would be wonderful lawyers, wonderful advocates. All they needed was some concrete substantive support and not just lip service. No, and that's that's the thing that I always find funny is when someone who maybe doesn't understand it as well, rather than approaching it in a way of, like you said, what do you need? How can I help? The people who are like, well, just don't be anxious. What do you, what do you mean? Like, what? <laughs> That's like telling a diabetic, you know, don't be diabetic or telling somebody with cancer, just wish it away. I mean, it doesn't work that way. You know, the brain is an organ and deserves equal dignity as your heart, liver, or lungs. Um, I try to explain that to people. You know, I get the fact, just like you, Montana, get the fact that we can't see on an x-ray or an MRI somebody's depression, somebody's bipolarity. We can't see that, okay? We can see a tumor. We can see a broken bone. But, you know, seeing is not believing when it comes to mental health. Listening and trusting and empathizing is really where we can make much more progress. And to the extent that a partner needs to push back on a client and set boundaries, you know, I would hope that they would, because boundaries is a big part of this with mental health, too. The law will eat you alive if you do not put up guardrails. It will eat you alive. And unfortunately, I think the stigma that surrounds mental health also prevents a lot of maybe whether it be, you know, younger professionals or professionals of any age from asking for help or wanting to go and reach out to someone for help because it's embarrassing to them or they think, you know, people aren't going to believe me or they're going to find me lazy. So what do you say to those individuals who are scared to ask for help, whether they've had bad experiences in the past or, you know, just people who are like, I can get through this. I don't need to talk to someone. Like I'll just, you know, push it down and I'm I'm stronger than this. And the short answer to that is, is that, as far as the people that aren't going to believe you, think that you're lazy, think that you're whatever, you know, there's, a, there's I, I would give the author credit, but there's a quote which says, it's, it's none of my business what others think of me. And, you know, I'll be 58 this year, and I recognize that this is for the young lawyers, but I was young too, you know, and I don't even consider myself old. But my point is this, at 58, I'm very comfortable talking about this topic now. And truthfully, at 28, I probably wouldn't have been because I was starting my career. But at the end of the day, I think we have had a seismic shift in the fact that this is becoming mainstream where I think that we are still encountering significant resistance is that there still is a significant sector of the law firm populace that still believes in this sink or swim type mentality. So what I would say to somebody is this, if you feel you need help, then just get it. You have every right to ask for what you need, but in fairness, the folks that you surround yourself with, they're not mind readers. They're not fortune tellers. So if you don't tell them what you need or if you don't get help, nobody, you can't expect somebody to read your mind. That's just simply not fair to the other side of this. But as far as being overly concerned, you need to take care of you. And it's not about, it's not about 
aggrandizing or over-dramatizing what you may be experiencing. It is what it is. And I'm not minimizing mental health challenges, but what I'm saying is, is that, you know, for many people, anxiety, depression are incredibly, incredibly treatable with proper professional help. And, and most people can and do get better. And I'm the first one to tell you, there's no, this is not a fault-based problem. It's not your fault. This is not a fault-based problem. You're not weak. I would submit to you that, you know, there is strength in getting help. I mean, and, and the good news is, is that we're seeing more and more people come out and talk openly about it, improve and move forward. Um, and that's what the goal of this talk is, is if, if anybody is listening is struggling, it's okay to get help. Look at it as a personal challenge to yourself, because that's really what it's about is your own self-growth, right? And so you may be at point A and you want to get to point B. Well, that's your personal goal. Just like an athlete gets that way through training and coaching, well, that's what therapists and psychiatrists can be for somebody that may be experiencing something that they just need help handling. No more, no less. Yeah, and I think it's important too for their listeners to know and whether they be young lawyers or, you know, older in their career or any professional, it doesn't need to be a lawyer, whoever's listening and struggling, asking for help isn't a sign of weakness. And I'm I'm only 27 and I'm happy to talk about it. Cause like you said, I mean, I think asking for help just shows that you want to take that initiative to be better for yourself, be better for your clients, better in your work, have an overall better life. Listen, this has been used so many times as an analogy. It's like the oxygen mask on the plane that allegedly drops down. All fortunately, I've never seen it drop down, but they always say, put yours on before you take care of somebody else. And the reality is, is we are in a service-oriented profession. And if we are not doing as well as we can, by definition, how can we be doing our best for our clients? We really can't be. And that is something, you know, this is, this is a performance enhancer, as my friend Rahul Mera, who's a psychiatrist, Rahul told me that. He goes, Joe, people view mental health with this kind of gloom and doom. He says, but really, it's a performance-enhancing thing, just like an athlete. And Dr. Mara, you know, he, he, he convinced me of that. He said, this is, this is about somebody building themselves up, building up their resiliency, understanding themselves better. It's, it's, the, ultimate, it's the ultimate part of being human uh, is trying to understand, how do we tick? You know, why do I tick differently than somebody else? And that's a fascinating journey. You know, it can be frightening, but in the end, it's, it's, it's very, very evolutionary for the person. And um, I think, frankly, the more we talk about it, it's better for the profession. Hiding it under the rug, kicking it behind the couch is, my sense in the collective, not good for our profession. No, I agree. And I actually think it makes someone stronger when they're, you know, willing to address that something's going on and they want that help. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength, I think. It is. It, it, it's, the same, it's the same thing people think crying is a sign of weakness. Crying is just emotion leaving the body. It's, it's neither good nor bad. It's just a physiologic response. People are like, oh, I can't believe somebody cried in the office today. Well, okay. Somebody was overwhelmed. They're, they're human. Being human isn't a crime. Uh, last time I checked, and being human has nothing to do with your intellectual capability. They live very conveniently together, but they're very different. I mean, I cry at everything. I cry watching dog videos. <laughs> like, I, it's just, it's a part of being human, like you said, and it's crying also not a sign of weakness. But I think something important that we should you know, also touch on before we wrap up here is resources. Because I know that, you know, we're trying to get this conversation in the workplace you know, make sure people aren't scared to ask for help and make sure that people aren't scared to provide the help. But what resources are there for people? So 
probably Montana, the most important question that we'll cover today. So there are a lot of resources, but the main thing I wanna tell you before I tell you about the resources is please know that you wanna look at credible resources. There's a lot of information on the internet, some of it excellent, some of it really, really questionable, quite suspect. So I'm a big fan of credible information. So some of the places that I would recommend that to start would be your local bar association, your state bar association, possibly your local bar association. The ABA we're talking today has a very robust website on this. Those are legal oriented. Then I would encourage people to learn about NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. I would encourage people to look at SAMHSA, uh, S-A-M-S-H-A for substance use issues. And you can also know about the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which uh, now all you have to do is dial 988 and they can give you, you know, guidance in a suicide fact pattern for you or for somebody else. So, you know, those really, I'm a big, big advocate for NAMI. I'm a big advocate for SAMHSA. I'm a big advocate for the ABA and your state bar as a starting point. A couple other things to remember briefly. One of the most common entry points for people into the mental health system is through their primary care physician, if they have a good relationship with their primary care physician. And for those of you that work for an employer that offers an employee's EAP, employer, Employee Assistance Program, that's an entry point that's confidential. And finally, check with your state bar. Uh, for example, in Florida, every bar member is entitled to up to five free consultations with a licensed psychologist or social worker on a yearly basis for free. And that's a benefit that could help somebody get short-term care if they needed it. And I have one last question for you. I think a lot of our listeners, some may be struggling, some may not, but I, I'd be confident to say that a lot of our listeners probably at least know someone who is struggling. So what can you, what advice can you provide to, you know, a coworker or a friend for how they can be a better resources to one of their friends who might be struggling? Well, there is no snappy soundbite for this, and I'll try to be as concise as I can. The main thing that somebody can do as a layperson, provided this is not an emergent situation, is to listen to them and validate their experience. When you are supporting somebody that's going through something, it's not about us. It's not about us telling them, oh, I experienced the same thing. It's not about us saying, I know exactly how you feel. It's about us saying to them, I can see this really upsets you. And if you're comfortable, tell me more about it. Recognizing that the whole time, our role as a friend or a colleague is fairly limited when it comes to helping them with the larger picture, right? Which is we leave that to the professionals because they're trained in this type of work. So you could say to a friend, if you were concerned, you know, I hear you. Have you ever thought about talking to somebody that specializes in this? Have you ever given thought to that versus telling somebody what they should do, right? You know, I'm a big fan of not giving advice. I'm a big fan of listening, hearing what they're saying, and then asking them, have they ever considered this versus saying you need, you know, the most common, oh, you're sick, you need a shrink. Well, that that's just not going to help, right? So listen empathetically, 
recognize your guardrails, recognize your limitations, but support them in their quest if they're ready to get professional help. I think that's all really important. And like you said, you don't necessarily necessarily need to have the right advice, but just being there, right? Just being ears to listen. We're all lay people, right? So our advice really, look, we can give tremendous amounts of advice when it comes to, you know, how to draft an answer, how to respond to an interrogatory. That's appropriate for us to give advice. But if somebody is suffering from depression and needs medical help, you know, we're not going to tell them to breathe, you know, breathe into a bag and we're not going to tell them to have a shot of tequila before they go to bed at night. We know enough to know just like a lawyer, just like you and I, Montana, right? We're lawyers. This doesn't mean you're going to go handle a complicated international tax appeal, just like I'm not ready to go tomorrow and try a first-degree murder case, right? We know what we know. And when it comes to mental health, the most important thing we know is there are professionals that can help. That's the most important thing that we know. Joe, thank you so much for joining me today. This is, like I said, such an important topic to me. And I really think that you've offered so much advice and insight on this topic that our listeners can take away. So I can't thank you enough for talking about this with me today. Thank you and the ABA for doing what you're doing. Let's keep the conversation going. And uh, again, just very grateful for the opportunity to have spoken to your audience. So thank you. All right, listeners, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to head over to Julie. This episode is brought to you by the American Bar Association's Young Lawyers Division. Starting a new career in the law can feel overwhelming. The ABA YLD provides resources, CLE, and a network of peers from coast to coast to help you settle into your new legal career. Claim your Young Lawyer membership for just $75 at ambar.org join. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Welcome back, Julie. I hear you have some stuff about Elon Musk to discuss with us today. Hi, Montana. Yes, I do. And I'm your host, Julie Marrow. This is Pop Law, where pop culture meets the law. And yeah, today we're going to talk about how Elon Musk might be under some fire with his recent Twitter firings. (laughs) I know. I saw TikToks of it. Yes. (laughs) I think the world knows that Elon has taken over Twitter, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing, good thing. I'm indifferent about it, honestly. But he's fired some top executives, but he has also laid off over 7,500 employees. And there's a lot of speculation and and rumors sort of that he gave them ultimatums that, you know, either agree to a, a really intense work environment or get out, basically. And so, obviously, you can't just do that to your employees. And we, that's what we have labor and employment laws for. So it'll be interesting there to see how this uh, sort of pans out. There was a, a lawsuit filed in November alleging like violations of the Warren Act. You know, if you're laying off that much of your 
your workforce, you have to uh, give 60 day notice. Yeah, I mean, I saw that on Twitter, there was like a guy who made an account saying basically him and his buddies were like counting down till four o'clock when they knew they'd be fired. And it was like, they were making a joke about it, but clearly it was kind of a big deal. And they were like, delete your Twitters if you have them, because who knows what's going to happen. So it's kind of crazy seeming at least. Yeah, I don't really think it was very expected from what it seems like. I think he's just sort of taken Twitter by storm. But yeah, I mean, it's a shame. I, yeah. I don't like seeing that that kind of stuff. But you also, if you're gonna, going to make mass changes like that, you need to make sure that you're following the law along the way. So we'll see. Absolutely. It'll be interesting to see if there's a class action or something. I'm sure there will be. So yeah, we may have to get an update from you down the road. Well, that sounds good. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you for listening. This is Poplaw. Until next time. Well, listeners, that's our show. I want to thank Joe Ankus for joining us today. And thank you for tuning in. I hope you were able to take away some information today that's helpful to you. And please remember, if you yourself are suffering and want to ask for help, that is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. If you like what you heard today, please recommend our show to a friend. We can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Until next time, you know the drill. I'm your host, Montana Funk, and you've been listening to Young Lawyer Rising, brought to you by the ABA Young Lawyers Division and the audio professionals at Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.